Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 3D Parent Podcast. Today is a special day and one of my favorite kinds of podcast episodes, which is a live coaching session, a live parent coaching session, where I will be working with a parent on a specific parenting challenge that they are experiencing. And together, we're going to explore the background um, of these issues, kind of the history of this particular problem and identify the likely root causes. And then also talk about really potentially good solutions to address this problem or challenge. Um, I'll always be offering suggestions with the 3D parent lens and approach in mind and encourage for everyone, the people who are my guests and also those listening to parent with dignity, direction, and deep connection in mind. So I want to get started by welcoming the guest for today, who is Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I would love to start off by just having you share a little bit about who you are, your family, um, anything you do for work, the age of your child. And I always like to ask my guests something that your family loves to do to connect to one another. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. So I am originally from the Seattle area. My husband's from a different state and we, uh, we live in Seattle in the South End and we both work from home and uh, have regular jobs. And then I have a sort of fun job on the side in the winter time here, I'm a ski instructor. So I've got a lot of experience working with kids ages four and up and all the way up to adult students as well. And uh, my baby Jay is gonna turn 18 months here uh, in a few days. And I've actually been teaching him uh, how to ski. So that's something that he and I do together as far as connecting is I'm sharing my love of the sport uh, to him at a very young age, much younger than I learned how to ski and um, and he's loving it so far. And uh, the other thing that we like to do together is read and make food. My husband loves to cook. And so that's something, you know, we've got a, a learning tower in the kitchen and we're always in there together, you know, learning. He likes to put away silverware and help do dishes and things like that as much as he can. So um, hanging out in the kitchen is something we definitely love to do together. I love that when little kids find chores to be so fun and entertaining before they realize that, hmm, washing dishes, not so fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. It's it's the agent stage where that all seems novel and cool. And like, yeah, jump in, take advantage before they realize the truth. It's <laughs> drag. <laughs> um, so great. Thanks so much for, again, coming on the podcast today, Lauren, and being willing to share your um, kind of the challenge you wanted to talk about today. And because I know it will be really helpful to other people who are listening and can maybe relate to what you're struggling with. So let's dive in. And why don't you share with us um, what is the challenge that you have been experiencing with baby J? And um, let's get to know the history behind this issue, like how long you've been seeing this and how it's kind of maybe changed or gone away or come back. And also include any solutions or strategies that you've tried um, to address this problem and what has been the result of those. Sure thing. Yeah. So a few months ago, uh, we noticed that he had been reacting really strongly. He's a very, uh, I'll start off by saying he's a very determined, if I had to choose one word to describe him, it would be determined. He gets very focused and determined on specific things that he wants to do or keep doing um, or not do. And so when you ask him repeatedly to do something or not do something that he does or doesn't want to do, or uh, if you say no to him quite often, he reacts pretty strongly to that. And lately has been, it had been taking the form of headbutting. So he would uh, pull away, sit down on the floor and actually lean forward and bonk his head on the floor uh, in, in an angry way that made it clear that he was expressing his frustration of what was going on or um, being told no. Or actually, uh, if you're holding him, he might headbutt, you know, especially me. Uh, his nanny sometimes too, and very rarely his dad, but he would kind of headbutt my chin or my throat uh, or my collarbone and, you know, kind of in out of frustration to demonstrate that he was not pleased with the situation. Luckily, since I got in touch with you, he has stopped doing that quite as much because I had been really concerned. And one of the reasons I uh, reached out to you about this was uh, I was concerned because, um, you know, I've, I've had head bonks before and they're really not fun and I didn't want him to injure himself. So I was, you know, trying to figure out how to redirect that behavior, um, make him not hit his head on things because, you know, on the kitchen counter specifically was a, a rough one. Um, I was really worried about him hurting himself. Luckily, he stopped headbutting the floor quite as much or the counter or things. He still occasionally will kind of rear back and look like he's going to headbutt, you know, if I'm holding him. Um, but you know, it's, he's still very clearly, you know, if, if you tell him no or something that he, he doesn't want to do or ask him to do something several times he doesn't want to do, he might kind of try to do it, but not quite to the severity that it was before. Uh, one of the funny things about when he was doing it to the floor specifically, or a, a hard object like the counter, he would pull back after like usually after the first bonk, maybe after the second one, he would kind of like pull his punch a little bit, <laughs> um, slow down his, his, his uh, momentum. And uh, then he would pull back and be crying because he was upset about it, but point at the spot where he hit and look at it like, hey, that hurt me. And so I think that was him realizing <laughs> that that was not a good thing to do. And it, you know, we didn't do too much as far as like addressing it ourselves. We kind of let him figure it out or told him, hey, that hurt, didn't it? So that's the the reaction that we started giving to that behavior. Um, when I realized that he was reacting, if I would say, ouch, he would get even more upset or, you know, reacting strongly and say, hey, don't do that was worse. 
telling him calmly in a calm voice, hey, don't, that hurt mama, don't do that, was a little better. So trying to figure out, you know, the best way to respond uh, was, is the trick. And we're kind of continuing to work through that into where we are right now. Great. And hopefully we can kind of give you some more perspective and also things to try. But I've got a couple more questions to kind of try and get even more of a full picture of where this plays out. Um, You mentioned that this can happen frequently when he is told no or you've given some type of a limit. Are there other times when he tends to have this type of expression, meaning the physical, the kind of aggression, either the headbutting or any other type of hitting, kicking, biting, slapping, those types of uh, responses, um, other things other than like when you've set a limit. If you ask him if he wants to do something that he doesn't want to do. Uh, so he's, he's funny about eating. He eats great when he's, you know, got food in front of him and you're sitting him down. But if you ask him if he wants to go somewhere and, and eat, or you want to go, want to go eat lunch and he's busy playing or doing something else, focused, focused on something else. The, instead of saying no, he does do a head shake. No, sometimes, but sometimes it, you know, it's in response, you know, sort of an aggressive response, like you said. So, you know, if you ask him a a question, sometimes the, the response to that question is with a little aggressive response. Yeah. Got it. And then he's 18 months. Where is he in terms of his uh, language um, acquisition, his ability to um, express himself and communicate with you? So we we're doing kind of a mix of signs. We've got he's got a few signs that he knows really well, um, and some that he's sort of modified. They're his sign for yes. He'll he'll clap affirmative yes. Um, he's got a few different words verbally as well as in sign that he knows. Um, it's not super verbal quite yet, but he's very responsive as far as understanding what we're asking. Like this morning. Uh, he spilled some water and I was, you know, sweeping up dirt that was on the floor near the water. I wanted to sweep up. I said, go get the broom and dustpan. And he went over to the kitchen, went into the cabinet that had the broom and dustpan, brought it over to me. And I was like, wow, that's great. So he's very, you know, his, his comprehension is fantastic. But as far as, you know, verbal and sign responses, I mean, I've looked it up and it seems like average, but, you know, he's got cat, dog, uh, he claps for yes. He kind of shakes his head sometimes for no. Um, he says ski <laughs> and, uh, and a few other, you know, words that he'll recognize from picture books and things like that. Um, animal sounds, you know, he knows those. Got it. But from your perspective, your, what you know to be on the range of um, what's considered to be like kind of meeting benchmarks as far as communication and talking with um, his pediatrician, he seems to be um, on track to normal um, language acquisition. Nevertheless, he's 18 months. And so he still has a ways to go. And you're, you're totally correct in your understanding that like comprehending what is spoken versus what he can express back. um, It's, it's much higher. They understand much more in terms of language. Um, they can comprehend it a lot sooner. And that's again, totally um, normal developmentally, but it's also helpful in terms of piecing together um, what could be driving this response. Um, 
and respond specifically to frustration. And there could be many things that could be frustrating him in these moments. And so that's kind of um, getting a look at why he's having this response. And then also what is driving this frustration that is leading to um, what you've been describing. So a couple more uh, questions, just again, just trying to um, take a look and make sense of behaviors and make sense of your child. When you talk about the fact that he is, I think you said the number one word you would use was determined. Was that what it was? Yes. Yeah, so determined. And, uh, you know, so it seems like uh, he has, you know, he's motivated to do things and carries through. Where would you say he is in terms of his emotions and the size of emotions? So I'm thinking about here, um, some kids, their temperament is just a bit more calm and sedate. Other kids have a temperament that um, is a bit more, you know, we, we call it sometimes spirited or <laughs> has kind of like big uh, expressions and outbursts of emotions, like super, super happy when they're feeling good. And, you know, and then super, super angry. And, and <laughs> you, you know, you, you never are unsure of what this child is thinking. So where would you say baby Jake is in terms of that? I would definitely say on the more spirited side, he definitely has those big, you know, when he's playing with his data and, you know, running around the house, you know, he's got big joy. And then if something goes wrong um, or he's sad or he's, you know, angry, it's you, you definitely know for sure. He's pretty expressive about, about that. Definitely. That's really good and a really good part of making a sense of our kids and their behaviors and the way that they express things. It's really good to to look at that because oftentimes, and, and I do like the phrase spirited because I feel like it doesn't have, um, you know, a negative focus in terms of the language, because sometimes people will use terms that kind of connect a bit of negativity to it, like um, intense um, you know, explosive, um, <laughs> high, you know, very emotional or overly um, emotional, but they'll use terms that kind of almost indicate that there's something wrong with having experiencing really big and intense emotions. And it's really just a different variety of temperament of person. Um, so what we're talking about here, of course, has to do with sensitivity and uh child or a person who is wired with more sensitivity oftentimes has really big feelings and sometimes those big feelings are almost too much to handle and can lead sometimes to some behaviors that look like aggression look like some of the things that you were describing. So thinking about, we, we've identified, yeah, he's kind of one of these big feeling kind of kids. So other things that are more typical of a highly sensitive individual would be, I'm going to read off kind of a list of kind of like descriptors. Um, so they would be um, someone who startles easily, um, can be more sensitive to their sensory input. So upset by loud sounds or um, being feeling really uncomfortable with itchy fabric or uncomfortable clothing, being in a wet diaper or just having wet clothing, feeling too hot, feeling too cold, maybe being really um, sensitive to different tastes and textures in food. That's all kind of like the sensory experience for somebody who tends to be more highly sensitive. Would you say that that is any of that relates to baby Jay? Surprisingly, no. Um, he is really good with 
new environments and new uh, physical feelings. The only thing that he gets upset about if he has, we do cloth diapering and um, we're also doing elimination communication. And so the only thing that he doesn't like is being actually laid down on his back when he has a wet diaper on. Got it. From your perspective, that's not as much about being uncomfortable, being changed as it is about not liking the diaper change experience. I think so. Yeah. He loves being in water outside. He's always splashing around. I, you know, I've got a splash suit for him, but sometimes we go out not in it like this morning and, you know, he had jeans on and he was just happily, you know, he gets wet and he doesn't really care. Um, I think part of that is just exposure to lots of different environments uh, as he's grown up, you know, taking him up to the ski hill since he was a few months old and we, we did um, baby led weaning as well. And so he's great with lots of different flavors. He loves flavor and food. We just tried, you know, pad thai last night for the first time and he's a big fan. And so we, we do have a lot of sensory inputs going into him and he doesn't, he's not really phased by them. Okay. Yeah. And, and as far as like, you know, loud noises and new things, um, you know, in an environment with lots of planes being in the Seattle area and, you know, big loud noises and he loves engines and cars and trucks and big loud things. So that's, and that's, this again, is all just making sense of him. And sure. on a sensory level, um, you're not seeing what looks like heightened sensitivity in terms of those things. We've already identified that he's kind of one of these kind of bigger, more intense emotional reactions. What about, um, you mentioned something that made me think, huh, interesting. I want to ask another question. And it was when you talked about how when you had kind of a strong reaction to um, like his hitting or banging, um, that seemed to make things worse. Yeah. Um, so it seems like, at least in that example, he has a strong reaction to other people's emotions. Um, would you say that is um, true in other incidences outside of him experiencing frustration? Meaning if, um, let's say, for example, if you were um, just feeling stressed or, you know, anxious or, or you were having an emotional experience and um, not related to him, um, would you notice that he would have a reaction, a response to that? Similarly, if you are crying or sad about something, again, unrelated to him, would he seem to kind of tune into that and seem to have a reaction to your emotion or the emotion of other people that are significant in his life? Yes, definitely. Yeah, he's very aware of, especially with me, you know, what's going on with me, how I'm feeling and other people too. I've been really amazed by his ability to read people's facial expressions through masks. You know, when, if we go out in public, he can see if someone's smiling and engaging with him behind a mask and um, just by how their eyes look and how their voice sounds. And, uh, and then especially with me, if I'm upset or stressed or, you know, frustrated or crying about something, he definitely notices and it feed, he feeds off of that energy. And so I have to be careful, you know, about how or what I'm expressing, especially if it's in relation to him, if I'm reacting to something that he's doing, um, you know, making him feel okay and safe that mama's, you know, feeling big feelings, but it's, it's okay. He's okay. He's safe. So that's great. And that's a really good just instinct you had to kind of recognize that he does respond and is very sensitive to your emotional reactions. And then in recognizing that, okay, so then I, I need to be careful about what is expressed in, in front of him because that in itself can kind of cause perhaps some alarm in him or perhaps some frustration in him. So that's 
that's a really great kind of just like instinct you've had to kind of make an adjustment um, based on who he is and his needs and how he seems to respond to things. What about um, his clinginess or lack of clinginess? Basically, um, does he have a hard time being out of your sight or not having contact with you or people who are you know significant people in his life, um, caretakers, uh, grandparents, um, you, uh, his dad, does he tend to be fairly clingy or does he seem to not be in a pursuit of um, contact or even like sight of you? He's funny. Sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. The hardest, um, because we're all working from home and then he has his nanny for part of the time. The hardest time is if they're playing and they have to come downstairs to have a meal or a diaper change or something like that. And then he sees me and I'm in like my nursing spot on the couch or something like that. He has a, we're trying to work on, you know, the ability for them to coexist with me in the room specifically or with his dad too. Um, in his little corner of the house, we put up a baby gate so that he won't just go over there to say hi and, and not be able to, to, you know, be taken away from that area. So it's, coexisting together in the same space without having close contact and, you know, switching and saying, you know, he'll, he'll turn to the nanny and say, bye-bye. And you're like, it's not bye-bye time yet. Um, so that's been, that's been hard. The other day I had, I had him up on the ski hill and uh, we had a, a good friend of mine who he calls auntie out with us. And I had to go into the lodge and get something, drop off his lunchbox in, in the fridge and then come back out. And I came back out and he was crying. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And she said, no, it's okay. You know, he, he did okay for the first few minutes and then he was looking for you. So you know, he does well with new people, but having mama out of out of sight for too long was, was a bit tough. Um, it was a little tricky. And again, given his age, completely developmentally normal. And what would be considered, honestly, to be concerning would be a child who was kind of indifferent. Um, so just in yeah. terms of that, and, you know, this is a unique time. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that it hasn't always been the case that everybody is working at home, but this is more of an adjustment due to the pandemic, or is that... Uh, is that more routine for your family? It's pretty typical because I, I work from home. I've worked from home for years. Um, and so that was kind of normal. My husband went back to work actually right before the pandemic started. So, um, but then it started and so he had to be working from home. So got it. But in terms of a, a, a child who's at one and a half, they of course don't understand, oh, these are working hours now. And yes. now, <laughs> yes, of course, wouldn't that be great if they came pre-programmed to understand like, oh, this is work mom and you don't have access now. And, you yeah. know, so from their perspective, like, oh, there's mom, there's dad, like, like there. So it does seem kind of confusing. And so yeah. I wouldn't necessarily call that, you know, clingy, but in terms of, um, him struggling to be separated at times, particularly if it's like things seem fine and then you're gone and you come back and find that he's been kind of upset or alarmed that it just indicates that he has, you know, felt upset, frustrated or alarmed by your um, that separation. And that's again, normal, but nonetheless worth kind of like identifying to kind of, again, recognize where there could be sources of frustration or alarm. Um, and then kind of similarly, does he tend to be in general, fairly shy of strangers um, or does he, you know, kind of that stranger danger kind of period of time, or is he typically very, fairly open to strangers? He's very interested and intrigued by them. I think partly because he doesn't see a lot of people, He's always engaged, you know, and, and been interested in other people and looking, you know, we actually went to the park for the first time, Gasp, and uh, and he was just so intrigued and, and interested. But then if they do get 
closer or try to engage with him, you know, more in his face, he he's kind of taken aback because he's not used to that. We haven't really had that. It's been, you know, his whole life almost that we've, we've had this sort of social physical distancing. So I think when people get close, he, he's a bit nervous about that. Right. Um, and that's again, helpful just in terms of getting kind of a sense of who he is, particularly with that, like kind of sensitivity piece. So it sounds like, you know, sensitivity is really like it, there's a wide spectrum of, um, of kids who are wired more sensitive and some kids are sensitive in many different areas, including that the sensory stuff that we talked about earlier that doesn't seem to be an issue for, um, for maybe Jay, but then um, there's like the emotional sensitivity, which it sounds like he's very strong in terms of having big emotions himself, but then also being very attuned to the emotions of, of others. And so having really, really kind of high sensitivity when it comes to emotions is part of just making sense of who he is and where he will have tremendous gifts in terms of being able to be really prone to being a super empathetic um, human being potentially due to having um, so much kind of like intuition and attunement to people's feelings, but also areas where he may struggle, particularly when emotions for himself are really big and really hard to experience at times. And also responding to other people's emotions, which at times might cause alarm or frustration for him. So it's just really good to kind of get a sense of where, where that might potentially be um, challenging. And then also, again, like I said, a tremendous gift in making sense of those things. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. So now I kind of wanted to move a little bit in the direction of sharing a few things that I'm hearing that for me seem to be um, indicating what might be causing the, the primary challenge that you came here to talk about today in terms of these kind of like acts of physical aggression, either towards himself, the kind of um, the head butting and the hurting of himself, or um, towards others when he is frustrated. Um, so when we talked about his language communication, that in and of itself is frustrating. <laughs> you know, it's very typical when you have a young child that is having an experience of any type of emotion or, or frustration or anything that is stirring them up inside and they, they can't find the words to express it. Even if he were a little further along in his language, ability to access those words in general, when frustrated, even when he has got lots of words and really easily able to communicate when not frustrated, when he becomes frustrated, it's even then really hard sometimes to find the words and not act out with an explosion of some kind, just due to the fact that big feelings are really overwhelming sometimes, particularly if a child is more sensitive to emotions and has really experiences kind of big heightened emotions. So understanding that that's a likely source of part of what frustrates him is helpful. And it sounds like you already have some great tools that you are using in terms of being open to giving him both signs for things, as well as kind of speaking for him and naming things for him. And those are both really great strategies. I would encourage you to think about incorporating signs that might also name 
feelings. So um, you don't need to go super complex or super, you know, but just the real simple, just like mad, um, you know, just a real simple name of what he might be feeling um, that would encompass like that feeling of frustration or not getting what your way or not getting to do what you want, but incorporate some signs that um, might help him get over maybe some of the frustration that could be driven by not being able to express himself. And at the same time, by naming emotions, you're helping him make sense of a full range of emotions and feelings that he is experiencing. Um, you're helping him make sense of his own feelings and emotions, and then also giving him some tools to be able to express them to others. And then, um, so in continuing to name those emotions and feelings for him when he's experiencing them. So again, you can continue to help him understand and provide the words until he can provide them for himself. Does that um, make sense in that? Yeah, that sounds great. So moving forward in terms of talking about emotion. So one is just understanding when, when we experience feelings, when we experience how emotions stir up feelings within us, it's important to understand and recognize that for young children under the age of five, um, they are one feeling at a time human beings. That's all they are developmentally capable of doing. Their brain processes things one feeling at a time. So knowing that is really helpful because like you described, when he's happy, he's happy. When he's when he's mad, he's mad. He, you're seeing this. He's he's showing you exactly his feelings um, in the given moment, very expressively, because that's who he is. He's a very expressive person, and it's helpful to understand that also because there's a lot of language. There's a lot of parenting strategies and philosophies and tools that are sold out there in books and tools and things like that, that embrace this concept that emotional regulation and controlling your emotions is something that young children have the capacity to be able to do for themselves. And it's something that needs to be taught that it's something that if you bought the right books about feelings and frustration and hands are not for hitting and just teach them enough, oh, they'll understand and be able to control it. Or you teach them, oh, when you feel this way, you need to take 10 deep breaths. You need to go sit in the comfy pillow, calm down corner that I have prepared for you to calm yourself down. You need to choose a book or some music so you basically are teaching a child options when they get their when their feelings are stirred up and they're having an intense feeling that again is not possible for a young child who cannot do more than one thing at a time in terms of their feelings and also assumes that they will have access to kind of the ability to think through and reason when their emotions are stirred up which again is something that is not developmentally possible for a young child under the age of five. So it's important to recognize that so that we have a realistic expectation of how to address times when emotions are really stirred up. So how do I respond to it if I can't, you know, just teach it out of my child or I can't just give them the steps to remember to access in the moment of big emotional overwhelm what do I do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And I, I wish that if, if those things worked, I'd be all in, but I know they don't work. And so I try and help people not go down that road because it's just going to be leading potentially to more frustration in both the child and the parent when they don't work. And I want them to also not waste their money. So, um, <laughs> so understanding that that's not 
that's not a realistic expectation for a young child helps with that. The other thing is to recognize that emotion seeks expression. It needs to move. It can't be, you know, stopped or stuffed or contained or it gets stuck and that can lead to more outbursts and more aggression and more problematic behaviors. So when you have a young child that's having a um, emotional, you know, upset of some kind, you need to find um, the space and have the, um, basically allow it to be expressed in a way that is safe, in a way that is going to help that child kind of release that frustration that is kind of simmering and driving that behavior. So avoid thinking about, oh, my child is having a tantrum right now and acting out. My job right now is to calm them down or to try and stop it or to um, soothe or solve or try and steer around and avoid things that might be frustrating um, or to maybe try and distract them because uh, we don't want them to feel frustrated or we wanna kind of stop it because we see it as being something that is our role to stop this expression of emotion. I'm not saying there's never a time to do that, but what I would encourage you to do is to more often than not, when possible, allow this emotion, this kind of flood of frustration energy to be able to be expressed and come out. So that is, but kind of a step in terms of being able to eventually get to the place where they can regulate their emotions. They can recognize conflicting feelings when they get to the stage of development, when that becomes even possible. So instead of uh, moving as a parent to stop, calm down or distract a child from, uh, you know, kind of frustrations and emotions that are really big and overwhelming, what do you do? So, um, uh, I talk a lot about developmental psychologist, Dr. Gordon Neufeld on this podcast. He provides this language, which he calls parents need to be two things at once, the agent of futility and the angel of comfort. <laughs> so this is the adaptive process, the agent of futility. That's the piece where you're saying it's time to change your diaper right now, baby J. So this the agent of futility, this is what's happening right now. <laughs> you know, this, this is happening right now. I'm, I'm basically saying this is what is the next thing that's going to happen. Or maybe it is he was um, reaching for something, uh, a glass on a table, and uh, you had to move out of the way because he could hurt himself or spill or something like that. So nope, I can't let you have that cup and you're moving out of the way. You have presented a limit, given a no, something like that. Okay, so what happens typically in those situations with baby J? Uh, he gets frustrated. <laughs> yep. And you know that because what happens? Uh, he'll try to grab at it harder. Um, and if, you know, you get in the way more, you know, tell him no or, or pick him up, he might move to head by you. <laughs> perfect. So not perfect. But what I'm saying is yeah. in terms of identifying what is happening there, the first thing he's going to try and do is he's going to try and not accept this limit. He's going to try and do what he can to do the thing or get the thing that he wants to do. So the first thing he's gonna do is try and avoid accepting the limit, the no, the thing that's gonna to have to happen whether he likes it or not. So the first thing he's gonna try and do is change it. 
The second thing he tends to do in these specific circumstances that we're talking about is if he can't get it to change, if he can't get his way, if he can't have the thing that he wants that he cannot have, he's prone to now move to act out aggressively. That is kind of this thing that happens for children of a range of ages, um, but really fairly commonly when you have a young child, he still is avoiding accepting the no. He's still accepting, he's still trying to avoid, you know, saying, oh gosh, I'm not going to get that thing I want, or I'm, I'm going to have to accept the fact it's diaper change time, or I'm going to have to stop what I'm doing and move on over there. So rather than just saying, oh, okay, that's a bummer. I hate diaper change time. Fine. Okay. Let's go sit down and get my diaper changed. Like it internally in his toddler like language, <laughs> instead <laughs> of him going that and accepting he moves to aggression. So aggression happens again when a child will not or cannot or finds it very difficult to accept whatever futility has been presented to them that moment. And so that act of aggression is avoidance of accepting it. So a lot of times what can happen because yeah, aggression is gets a lot of attention because it hurts if it's going towards you. You're mm -hmm. concerned if it's if it's towards the child, then you're concerned that they're going to get hurt. And so all the focus and attention typically will go towards that aggressive act. And we kind of forgot about the thing in the first place that set off the frustration. We kind of spend now a lot of time and focus on the um, acts of aggression and we spend a lot of time talking about not hitting, not hurting and all those things and, and try to really still kind of like um, address that problematic behavior, which oftentimes will basically allow a child to still never process and accept and adapt to the original futility, the original thing that set off the frustration in the first place. So what do we do? So um, you've presented the futility. Let's just use the... Um, maybe it was a glass full of juice, okay? <laughs> let's, let's make it something that actually makes a little bit more sense for toddler um, brains. He wants a glass of juice and, uh, or a sippy cup of juice. It uh, You've decided, oh, I left it there by accident. It's not time for a sippy cup of juice. And you've said, nope, and you've put it out of the way. And he's trying to get it down. He's trying to get it. He want, really, really wants you to change. He really does not want to accept this. And nope, we're not having juice right now. And then that moves to him banging his head on the floor or hitting you or trying to um, like headbutt you. So that's the next thing he does. What happens in that? It is totally fine to say, uh, to address the aggression, to say something like, um, I can't let you hit right now, or I'm gonna keep you safe. But when you say that, it's almost like you're passing through that phrase to basically right away kind of remind him of the futility, the thing that you that originally set off the frustration so that he has another opportunity to accept it. So what happens when a child is acting out in aggression, they're trying to avoid it. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to accept it. So when you um, when he, let's say, um, you know, try to hit you after you said, nope, no juice right now. And you took his hands in yours and said, I'm not going to let you hit or your hits are getting away from you. I'm going to help you right now. Something to address that, that is immediately followed by, but I understand you're really upset. You wanted juice. And I said, no, you're mad. You wanted juice. So you basically put that thing right in front of him again to remind him so that his attention will be focus back on the thing that set off the frustration in the first place. That's not a magic 
um, cure all in terms of like, oh, and then he'll suddenly be like, okay, yeah, you're right. I just want the juice and calm down. But what it will do is take that instinct to try and avoid accepting this limit, this no, this futility back towards having to work through his feelings about that. The goal here is we want him to move that anger, that frustration, that mad to a place of acceptance. And that's going to happen when he takes the mad and it turns into sad. And that feeling is not that anger, rage, or aggression avoidance, but instead it turns to kind of the cries that are just sad cries where he will be able to accept your comfort and you being able to empathize that, that, you know, that's really hard. It's hard not to get your way. And that's the kind of angel of comfort piece um, in that kind of two-sided phrase, the agent of futility and angel of comfort. When you're in this process, if he doesn't act out of aggressively and he's just kind of having a more like just typical kind of outburst or, or a tantrum and you're not having to deal with um, rerouting and active aggression, it goes a little bit more straightforward because he's he you're saying no, you're sticking with your limit and your no, and you're not making it easier for him to you know, avoid accepting that by saying, oh, I'll give you, I'll give you juice later. I'll give you a little bit. You can have one sip. That's kind of bailing a child out again from actually having to do the hard work to accept the limit, accept the, um, the futility. So you're just staying present. You're saying, I know you're mad. You might be signing in this case. You might be signing the word for mad or just naming could be enough. And you're staying empathetic and calm. Um, sometimes, um, again, because of language, using your, your facial expressions and your tone of voice to kind of help them, to help him recognize that you understand him and his feelings can also help them move from mad to sad. That can all help find those tears and get to a place where they can accept your comfort and, um, and connection. And then on the other side of that, they can go ahead and proceed and realize that was survivable. You know, that was, yeah, I, I didn't like not getting the juice, but I can survive this. And it becomes a little bit easier the next time your child is presented with the same or a similar type of um, limit futility. Does that make sense? Any question about that piece? That makes total sense. And it's cool because that's actually something I do on the ski hill with my students. If they're having, you know, frustrated something, I've, I've used a similar, uh, especially with the younger ones, I've used similar strategies. And I just didn't realize. Like that's something I know how to do already. Right. And sometimes when it's your own child, you're like, oh, of course, of course, that's what this needs and what he, what this is and what this needs. It's, it's sometimes so much harder when it's your own child, because all of your emotions are tied up into things. And, um, and it, it, when you're like a one step removed, like a student at the ski hill, sometimes it seems a little bit easier to see, oh, that's what, that's where that's coming from. And I know how to help them in this moment, but yep. Same thing applies at kind of the 18 month old level yeah. with um, your son. And I've, I think I've done that with him up on the hill as well, you know, with, you know, he's frustrated because he can't do a skill. And I say, yeah, I know it's really hard. Or yeah, I know you see the car and you want to go there. So, but to get there, we have to ski there. And, you know, I've talked him through that type of thing before out, out there, but of course it applies at home too. It does. And then in terms of, um, you know, aggression, aggression is, is a fairly common problem that parents have to kind of address 
but it's most common for your more highly sensitive children. And the real reason why is because, again, they have intense, big feelings. And because of that intensity, it's really, really hard to always be able to access the kind of like more vulnerable feelings. And so the tendency to try and sometimes avoid those feelings sets in just because they're so big and hard. And it's really important then from a really early age that you make it safe to be able to feel and experience the wide range of emotions that are part of just being a human <laughs> and, and normalizing that. And also, uh, like I said, making space for that and knowing that it's perfectly fine and normal to allow that to move. Like I said, it needs to move. And sometimes with, you know, really good intentions, parents who are trying to distract their child or, or kind of like making things better for them so they don't have to have their tantrum, that actually just delays and perhaps intensifies down the road frustration that might explode even bigger uh, moving forward because they didn't have an opportunity to kind of release some of that frustration um, throughout the day because you just it, parents sometimes will try and avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. And really what they're just doing is mm, bottling it up, bottling it up, bottling up. And whoa, now it's going to be really big and explosive. <laughs> so yeah. it's helpful to kind of keep in mind that um, even when it seems just like, you know, a silly thing, I'll just give them the sippy cup of juice. You know, what's the big deal? Um, that right there. Um, Sometimes those real small stakes, like, should I choose my battles? When you have a pretty intense child who has these big feelings, the smaller, less consequential things are going to be the easiest for them to be able to move through that adaptive process and accept when they're the bigger things. If we're like, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just give in these times. And then like when it's something big, then, then I'll go ahead and really like hold my line. Well, the problem is if they don't have practice on those little futilities, those big ones are like gosh, nearly impossible to be able to get to that place with without some practice. It's almost like building that muscle. You wouldn't start off on the first day running a marathon, right? <laughs> you got to do a little jog around the block first and then build, build, build until you can get to the place where you can handle a big challenge, a big feeling, a big experience of frustration. Great. Um, so, yeah, so I think um, the only other thing kind of to add here has to do with um, uh, which you've already kind of addressed, um, but I just wanted to kind of reiterate be um, when you talk about your own emotional response to his frustration, to his acts of aggression, as much as possible uh, to be able to kind of temper your own emotional reactions to things so that he doesn't become further frustrated or further alarmed by your own expression of frustration or um, your own loss of your ability to kind of control your emotions because they've been stirred up or maybe you've had a bad day or whatever it might be. So your instinct to try as much as possible and stay more calm and neutral in terms of your tone and your response is absolutely right on the money because when you have a sensitive child who's really responsive to somebody else's emotions and then they themselves are really stirred up by their own emotions it's like saying i know it's really hard for you to handle your emotions so now i'm going to give you mine and you're going to, you're going to handle <laughs> mine too right so yeah. you can see how that in of itself when you think it that way you're like yeah that that would actually not help him that's going to make things more upsetting, more frustrating, more alarming for him, just based on, you know, how he is a really big feeling kiddo, which is also 
awesome, but will come with these kinds of challenges as you're kind of navigating, um, you know, his experience with his frustration um, through the years. So that's, that's a really great instinct. And again, we all do the best we can, and we're going to sometimes mess up. And sometimes, you know, you're going to be hurt because he yeah. had butted you and, you know, we have a natural response to being hurt. So I think it's just um, knowing, giving yourself also some grace to like, you know, make a mistake or do something that, oops, I didn't mean to do that. Or just having a impulse to react just because you are responding to pain. But then also knowing after that happens that you can also say like, oh, but I'm okay. You're frustrated. You're mad. And like reassure them that you can handle this, that this isn't too much and that you're here to, before he can regulate his, his own emotions, you're here to co-regulate through staying calm and kind of tempering your own emotional responses to things. And um, again, not making him feel responsible for your feelings, your frustration. Um, it's honestly never a good idea for an adult to do to a child, but especially when you have a frustrated, sensitive child. Makes sense. Great. Um, so in terms of um, the, you know, the challenge that you kind of brought up today and what might be um, driving frustration, there was one more little piece that I wanted to throw in to kind of just, just to think about. And it was the example you gave about another time when he seems um, frustrated. And that's when you sometimes will ask him a question like, are you, you know, hungry now? Or do you want to eat now? Or some asking him a question that he sometimes will react to aggressively. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to go have lunch? Is the most common, do you want to go have lunch? No. There we go. So um, um, the frustration could be coming from one or two places. One is he, no, he doesn't want lunch and he wants to keep doing whatever he's doing. And um, when you say, do you want to have lunch? He thinks that you're basically saying that has to stop right now. And that's frustrating. But the seed I kind of wanted to plant could be that he doesn't want to be asked that you asking him to make a decision about his caretaking, his nurturing, his needs is alarming and frustrating for him. So sometimes, again, with the best intentions, parents think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll offer my children um, choices and, you know, to give them, you know, an agency, a pat, an opportunity to kind of express their um, desires, to give them a sense of, you know, power or something. There's, there's many different reasons why parents will oftentimes offer choices or ask questions of their children. Um, it can be great in many circumstances, but I would caution you to do less questioning of baby J, particularly because you're seeing uh, frustration follow. And instead, instead of asking the question, saying like, it's lunchtime now, and just basically like not making a question, you're just doing. Even better yet would be before you say it's lunchtime now to find a way to kind of connect with him with whatever he's doing, if he's playing with something. So find a way that you can kind of enter his world in a way that's friendly and can kind of turn on that relationship attachment energy between the two of you before then you go and you present him to lunch. So he is not having to kind of like be stopped in something that has his attention and then shift to something that maybe like he wasn't prepared for and you're getting frustration out of just like 
not really feeling like, yeah, I don't want to do that right now, or I don't want to follow your lead right now. So you're kind of turning on that um, already that energy by just kind of engaging with him and then going ahead and just presenting the next thing, the lunch, the whatever it is versus asking him a question about it. It makes sense. It's going to be tricky because he gets so focused on, on whatever he's doing, especially if he's playing with something and then, you know, you have like waiting for him to come to an actual conclusion of, of playing with it, whatever he's doing can take a long time. So I think that's going to be uh, a longer process. Absolutely. But the main thing is that um, you're, you're leading with your relationship, you're leading okay. with your connection. And so what you need to do is find a way to kind of like enter his world where you're basically like joining it first. And then once you kind of enter his world and, and he, it's clear that he is orienting and focusing on you versus whatever has attention previously, then easy. The other option is for you to basically just offer something better than what currently has his attention. And that can be basically kind of like same thing, but just kind of a different approach would be to be able to um, connect through play, connect through playfulness to um, basically grab his attention kind of instantaneously, because even though he's really, really focused on playing with those blocks in that moment, you come in and you're super silly and you're like, oh my gosh, and you make <laughs> silly faces and you just, you're super you know, funny and, and you come up to him and you just like enter his world and grab his attention just by playfulness. And that energy will kind of be like, okay, the block's more pretty cool, but oh, mom's way cooler. I'm going to go <laughs> play with her right now. And then that energy can also move forward into kind of the next thing that um, needs to happen. So just more food for thought in terms of kind of how to harness his um, attention and how to use your connection and your attachment that you are building and nurturing and creating this foundation for in these early years and how that can really be utilized to kind of have him instinctively more prone to follow and listen and, you know, follow your kind of your direction and influence. But yeah, it's all, it's all a process. It doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> um, well, this has been really, really wonderful. I'm so grateful um, for you coming on the podcast today, Lauren, and sharing your story and your challenge with us today. Um, as I said, I'm sure there's a lot of parents out there who can relate to um, what you've been experiencing in these challenging moments with um, your son and if any of you out there listening are interested in being a guest on my show and participating in a um, parent coach session on my podcast, please feel free to reach out to me. There is a link to book a call in the show notes, or you can find me on my website at the3dparent.com and find a way to contact me there as well. And I would love to have a chance to talk with you and see if I can work with you through the podcast, um, having a coaching session recorded to be shared, or maybe just one-on-one -on -one if that is your preference. I'd love to be part of all of your parenting journeys. So thanks so much for joining us today, uh, Lauren and listeners out there on the 3D Parent Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. 
If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.